Hello and welcome to my podcast, How I Teach Golf. My name's Duncan Walger and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of How I Teach Golf. Um, This week I wanted to do something uh, to do with the Open Championship, to do with the outreach projects, to do with the Royal and Ancients and the great work that... uh, my fellow members of the PGA do. So a few years ago, I was working uh, for the RNA through the PGA at the Swing Zone. Uh, I met with a uh, a guy who um, had just finished working on a cruise ship, and uh, he ended up. We ended up working together through uh, with another association, or working with a group of uh, juniors. And then uh, he's, well, he's going to tell you about his exciting journey to where he is now and how he got there. So I'm, uh, I'm talking to Andy Griffiths, who's over there in China. Andy, how are you, mate? I am doing very good. Just, just rushed off to lesson tea. And um, after listening to all of these podcasts, um, excited to be on. Fantastic. We've sound as though we've got a really good connection. So that's, that's awesome. Um, so tell me a bit about yourself, how you got into the game. How you ended up where you are now? Uh, I used to play quite a lot of football and then stopped growing pretty much when I was 10. And so that wasn't particularly useful for a career in football. So got started in golf when a couple of friends played and they were not that much taller than me and played a good level of golf. So I thought this is a much better sport for me. And typical addictive personality, got into playing a lot. Um... And that took me on to going to university in Birmingham, studying applied golf management studies, which is effectively coupling the regular PGA route with your undergraduate studies. Uh, So did that for three years and was encouraged with that to go and do placements each summer. So I ended up working at everyone in France with John Wallet, with Jim McLean and Rob Neal in Doral. And then just managed to meet a lot of good contacts, which ended me up working, like you said, just there with you guys at the Open, uh, out in Pebble Beach with Nike, a bit of time with TPI, and then working on a cruise ship for a year or so. And then the last five years or so have seen me out in Shanghai, China, uh, which has been, yeah, this is now turning into home, which is a scary thing to say out loud. (laughs) So when you, um, which Open did we do? Did we do the, were we Royal St. George's or Lytham? We were St. George's. So that was the day when on the Saturday that little storm came through and closed us down. That is, yes. (laughs) So you, me and Lawrence Pawley were standing outside getting drenched that day. That is the very one, yep. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Good memories, good times, good times. So so you did all these uh, placements traveled around the world and was that the reason why you ended up on the cruise ship or what 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 i, I just want to delve into that a little bit because it wasn't something i'd ever come across before another <laughs> another professional that had traveled essentially around the world on a cruise ship giving golf lessons so how did that come about yeah so i'd been um well what did i do i wrote down a list of what i wanted to achieve in the next stage of career and traveling was on the list uh, doing a lot of hours coaching myself was on the list because up until that stage, I'd been fortunate to have spent a lot of time with great coaches but hadn't done that much coaching myself or definitely mm-hmm. not enough. So I wanted to 
really combine a place where I could coach a lot, travel, and still keeping it fun. Yeah. And I was lucky. There was one guy in our university course who'd actually done a similar thing just before me, um, put me in contact with who would be my boss on the cruise ship. And yeah, it ticked off a, a lot of areas. And probably out of that, the, the most useful area was that it was an Italian-based cruise ship and I didn't speak any Italian. Okay. And it was, a lot of the guests would speak English, but I didn't feel that I would be learning Italian as something that would move my career forward massively at that stage. Mm-hmm. So I had to give a lot of lessons in very broken English and very broken multi-language. So it was fantastic for communication skills and learning to get a point across without trying to impress with how much knowledge you have. So it was an additional bonus there. So then you finished, when you finished with that, because how long was the trip? I did uh, four months or so going around in circles in the Canary Islands and then did a 101-day world cruise where we visited probably about 30 or so countries. Uh, so all in all, I was on the ship for 10 months or so. Okay. And would you say that gave you the taste then to just want to explore some more? or? Yeah, I'd always been relatively sure that I, well, obviously, as most people do growing up, you want to play. And a big part of playing was the idea of what it seems like uh, tour professionals have every week, where they're different plays, always exploring, then pick up the clubs and play a little bit of golf as well. So I was sure that I wanted to have the best of both worlds in terms of actually realizing I enjoyed coaching and the satisfaction from that a lot more. But being able to combine that with traveling and seeing new places was yeah where the cruise ship came in and where I was determined to keep that up when the cruise ship finished and then um you then came back to the UK how long were you in the UK for because I know you you went off traveling a little bit again with regards to seeing other coaches and that sort of stuff yeah I did about a year or so uh, mostly uh with a place called Oak Park in with a guy called Gavin Grenville Wood uh, one of the busiest junior places that there is and again it just I felt like I wanted to go to a place where I just got a lot more hours a lot more experience knowing pretty much I wouldn't be staying in UK for too long but knowing that I just wanted to learn from people that have taught a lot of juniors and just put put it all together put all the learning that I'd done and just get the hours in cool and then uh, so how did you find about the position in China uh, I was pretty fortunate, actually, because of a lot of social media work and a really a good network of people that are very willing to help. I had quite a few different offers that I was looking at. And very last minute, I was in the PJ, I was at the PJ show and talking to a few coaches um, about the next stage. And two separate coaches mentioned my current boss, Michael Dickey's name. Yeah. And he was looking to expand. Well, it basically opened uh, as I came out. So he was looking to launch his own thing and that I should get in touch. So I left a, a meal that I was having out in US uh, rather quickly, jumped yeah. on a Skype that didn't have audio quality as good as this. <laughs> and that was the first really that I heard about that opportunity. And then fast forward a couple of months and I was out here in Shanghai. Wow. I mean, I remember Michael was an assistant. Uh, Burr Hill. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, so you know, I mean he's done I mean he's doing awesome out there. 
Um, I remember him going out there, uh, you know, and he just, you know, worked his backside off to get where he is today. And it's, it's fantastic. So tell me a bit about the setup that you've got there. So right now we are, we've got five locations, a mix of, we've got one golf course, uh, or two golf courses now, a indoor space and two driving range facilities. Uh, Looking at a few new places at the moment that will probably take off in the next couple of months, hopefully. Mm. Um, Most of my time is spent at the the golf course. That's where I am today. Uh, 18 holes, has a LET event here. Uh, really good pr- uh, practice facility and uh, not too far from downtown. So um, that's where I spend most of my time. And what, uh, what, so do you cover literally the whole spectrum of, of golf lessons or are you junior development? What's, what's kind of your role and what kind of happens? Uh, with the longer I've been here and the more reputation goes up, it's, well, to be honest, it's always going to be a beginner market here. It's such a new sport. Uh, so there's a lot of beginners to teach, but, with me being almost five years or so, I now have a large percentage of kids that are competition golfers, a little bit more motivated and with their, their goals of what they want to achieve. The difference here being that once they get to normally around 14 or so, they'll look to go to the US for high school and then pretty much stay there for high school and then uh, college too. So there'll be a gap between probably 14 and say 23 or so when they come back from college okay. uh, which is yeah different to what you would get in the rest of the world i'd say so so you're taking you're taking the the the, the, the children from what sort of age are you starting these guys at my youngest would be eight yeah uh, have started with six like my oldest student started at six and he's just turned 11 Okay. Um, so six, but I don't get as many of those now with it being more the ones that have already played a fair bit of golf. And then how would they, how, or how would you, I should say, with the, between you and Michael and all the other professionals that are there, how many how many professionals you got there? How many coaches? We have 15. 15. And, and that's yeah. spread across the uh, all of the sites? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what sort of, um, what sort of commitment and what sort of development programs uh do they get involved in because i i i would guess and i might be wrong and i'm that's why i'm kind of asking the question how how different are development programs over there compared to what we do here so yeah they have the uh the china pga levels uh that they go through that was originally i think it's Stuart leong working with uh australian pga that developed that um but with us using a lot of technology uh, in my role, I've developed uh, internal staff training, um, which has multiple levels and covers basically all of our lesson plans, all of the technology we use, a lot of customer service, those kind of things. And in the small pods of coaches that we have, uh, we'll work through that in each level will take around six months or so. Okay. And all the coaches will go through that as part of being able to coach, I guess, in the way that we coach. And then, what about the uh, what about for the for the people that are getting involved in golf for themselves or for the for the kids as well? What's their kind of commitment? Because obviously, over in the UK, if we've got a junior, if you've got a junior club um, club program, sometimes it can be an hour a week on a Saturday, and maybe a couple of hours 
during the week in the summer. And then if you're fortunate enough to have an indoor facility, you may be able to get an hour in the winter. What, uh, how does it differ over there? Okay, so largely, especially with a lot of the juniors, their weekend time is ridiculous. If you look at their schedules, they might have uh, an hour of golf and then calligraphy class and swimming and jiu-jitsu and Chinese and then English class there. Saturdays, Sundays are very, very packed with activity. So with the beginner levels, uh, they will typically not have so much time to put aside to golf. When golf turns into more of a priority and they start putting aside a few more hours. The, the culture definitely lends itself towards the idea of individual lessons is the way forward. Um, but we're always moving away from that. We've, we've got a summer camp going on at the moment in US where there's 15 kids and they're learning in a more, I would say, typical way where less instruction, more just playing golf. Yeah. And learning from environment, learning from different situations. Yeah. And I think each time when that happens, it gives us more more push to really just get that when they come back and push it in that direction. Because definitely if we if we let the parents have exactly what they want, it'd probably go more towards just individual lessons as what they see as the, the best option. How do you think that came about? Because would I be right in saying that the calligraphy, swimming um jujitsu and all the other stuff they would be in a group environment right yes um why do they question. think that golf has to be one-to-one -one? any any ideas on that yeah i think because um they see the complexities of the swing and think that everything in order to get a perfect swing at six years old um you wouldn't be able to do that in a group session where a coach is only looking at you for a little period of time. Okay. Um, I think a lot of the education that we've started to, to give is more along the lines of all the other 95% of golf that isn't related to a perfect swing is stuff that would not be very feasible to teach in just one hour golf lessons. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more just related to the fact that previously the idea of golf lessons is just to, to perfect a golf swing would be the main reason that's come about. Okay. So the, so you're, you're at the golf club now and is it, are you kind of coming into summer? Where, whereabouts are you at the moment in, in, in the year, as it were? We are coming. So now we have summer holidays. We've had for most of July, uh, kids go traveling. So we've yeah. got a lot of kids that are at our summer camp in US, a lot of kids that are all around China playing in competition or just on holiday. When it comes into August, a lot of them come back and that's when yeah, they have a bit more intensive for this month or so whilst they're still playing competitions, a lot more time for golf. Uh, September, go back to school and it cools down a little bit. But I would say it stays pretty constant for most of the year. Okay. And then with regards to kind of hours teaching the kids, is it? They obviously, when they're at school during the day, you're not doing any 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 one to one coaching with children then. But evening work and or is it just weekends? Uh, weekends most, but uh, also quite a few that do uh, weekdays after school. Um, one of the downtown indoor places we do more indoor stuff during the weekdays. Uh, one of the new facilities we'll go to will be a lot closer to downtown, so we'll be putting in more of some group activity there. 
where kids can finish school at four and we can do a class five till seven, which as it was up until now would be less, less feasible. So it's always, I think the, the word to describe China would be, well, the skill needed would be adaptability and just seeing, for example, when the kids um, have so many different activities, okay, working out how you can get them to a, a level where they enjoy the game enough to want to practice themselves, but in a limited time frame. So also with here, golf course access is quite tricky. Mm -hmm. uh, so working out so many different ways of tr basically recreating what happens organically back in UK, but um, we have to, to work to try and try and create solutions too. So then if let's, let's say you've got a, a new parents come, come or email you or phone you, how would they, how would they get in contact with you generally? via email or would they come into the one of the facilities or normally one of the facilities um now with word of mouth being pretty strong um wechat which is effectively i'd say whatsapp on steroids uh it's what okay. that here a lot so it would generally be that your effectively your business card uh would be passed on to someone and they'd contact you on there which similar to email kind of thing yeah and then they would arrange a meeting first, or would you do that over, did, what did you call it, WeChat? WeChat, yeah. Um, we have a, an assessment lesson where we, basically it's just a, a chat to get to, to know the parents or the kid or the just to meet the team, um, to hear a bit more clearly what their goals are, uh, to show them our junior program, to show them what we do, and just to get the expectations started on a, a good level so just to show them what do we do show them what we offer and try and find out about as much information about them as possible and then after that we can recommend what what program they should be going into okay so how many different levels of programs do you, do you is there just is it purely bespoke pretty much to fit what they want yes yeah so we have um, a five level junior program which goes red white green blue black Mm -hmm. uh, and included within that is all of the technical stuff we'd want to see, but then also the the games and scoring uh, of tasks that can be done in lesson time or outside of lesson time. Uh, so then we stick to that. So the, the program would largely follow going through those levels, but then obviously it's depending on the golfer, depending on, uh, what phase they are in their competitive season, all these kind of things, it's can go off on little tangents, but that's generally what we fit to. It gives them similar to what we'd get in UK with a handicap system. Uh, it gives you the motivation of wanting to improve and seeing where your level is, but having to be manufactured during the due to the fact that there's less opportunity to be out on the golf course to see the improvement. Okay, and then what, involved in those programs, what sort of technology do you use? What uh, what have, what have you got down there? So we use quite a lot of technology, but um, we've tried to do as much of this skills, I say skills testing, but these games to not use it so they can use it in their own time. But we use Trackman, Sand Butt Lab, 4D, Blast, Focus Band. We have a 3D system here as well. Um, at KVS and 4D Motion and Swing Catalyst. Mm -hmm. So we we have this stuff. Um, sometimes we use it a lot. Sometimes it's not the what's needed in those situations. But 
again with coming up with solutions it's we've we developed a, a little a simple trackman test just a 10 to 80 yard test um, looking at carry distance uh, put a big leaderboard up on the on the wall and getting kids to have the feelings of pressure that they'd get in competition um, having to develop some kind of grip uh, when they hit a couple of bad shots all the things that you would generally get on a golf course Mm-hmm. Doing that in that environment, as well as getting them addicted to the idea of hitting short game shots, is uh, one of the main uh, uses of technology that we have. So you find that you, you you've got to be quite creative, or you've been quite creative with. Although you're looking at maybe you're looking at certain parameters or certain numbers that you may may or want to be working towards with them, you want them to try and still try and feel as though they're playing golf rather than playing by numbers yeah yeah it's um I, I i think from the travel that i did and the best coaching that i saw it confused me at the time and now it makes a lot more sense that the the best lessons i saw were so simple uh-huh. uh, the coach obviously found the the main the main issue um put it in a language that made sense to the person in front of them uh, say it's a tennis person in front of them, someone who plays tennis, gave them uh, an example that related to tennis, which seemed such an obvious thing to do because they've been talking earlier about tennis. And then the person obviously gets the feeling really quickly because it's something they do more often than golf. Yeah. And then the change is made. And there's me sitting in the background, not knowing the student in the background and thinking, oh, that was simple. It's just said, feel it's a top hand release or whatever it is. And I think now with how we use technology, I'm just, this very similar thing that looking on it looked like a really simple uh, just pulling out trackman and picking one number but yeah just have to be creative and not let the technology confuse the person or dive into a million numbers but instead just use it for exactly what that student needs so with regards to the the people that you went and saw coach um and went and saw teach you've obviously had some influences uh, within your within your career, um, speak a little bit about those if you wouldn't mind. Who's 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 really who's really influenced the way that you either coach or um, maybe it was someone that you just watched and just thought that's I just love the way they do it and that's really influenced without them maybe even knowing that that that's what they've done. Um, well, so many. I've got a <laughs> I've got quite a few notebooks full of all of the notes that I've taken. I uh, read through that quite often. Um, but I would say straight away, seeing Cameron McCormick was um, very impressive. Uh, he, in terms of he's obviously well-read in his motor learning and his uh, ability to create movement change, but he just did what he talks about doing. Yeah. So the lessons that he gave uh, would... Uh, it wasn't a lot for the people that didn't need there wasn't a lot of block practice but then he'd, as soon as they started to get comfortable he would get them to change the club that they were using um, and it was very golf course based so I would say he was the probably the best that I've seen at just really doing what he uh, practicing what he preached um, but there's so many I think lucky to spend time with um, James Ridgard Um I think everyone knows how much he knows about the short game and about long game as well. So 
learned a lot from watching him coach. Uh, Jeff Ritter, who I was with in Pebble, very, very creative. Um, I just take a lot of different things from different coaches. Um, and yeah, I, I sometimes just catch myself. I'm, I'm doing a drill, I'm doing a, I, I let a sentence out and I'm like, I've heard that sentence before and it's probably a direct <laughs> quote from... From another, from another coach. I do it all the time. <laughs> Very lucky to have had so many people that have been willing to to help out and have definitely helped me to progress in the last couple of years. So then, obviously, going out to going out to China, I presume you know you spoke a little about the communication skills and and everything else. So when you first went out there, how? How big a barrier and how did you go about learning about the culture and the language? And, you know, I'm tr- I don't know if you've got any funny stories or, or, or bits and pieces that you, you, a story you're willing to share about when you've, I don't know, mispronounced something or, or asked directions to the wrong place or anything like that. Where, how, oh, good question. There, what, five years now. So I presume how, how is your, how is your language with, with them now and, How's that evolved? So my language now is is good. Um, it's always improving. I now I, I've taught in Chinese for the last couple of years. I do all of our staff meetings in Chinese. Um, but yeah, definitely when I arrived, I had a translator, which was good and bad. I yeah. quickly learned that sarcastic English humor and <laughs> Chinese translation led to a lot of blank looks. Okay, uh, so I, that quickly gave me the motivation to want to work a lot harder to, in the nicest way possible, get rid of the translator as quick as I could. Yeah. Um, in terms of culture, she's that's I just finished reading a book yesterday, which was uh, 101 stories for foreigners to understand Chinese people. So that is an ongoing journey, uh, trying to understand the a lot of the differences. Uh, in terms of funny stories. Uh, I've gone completely blank, but oh. I'm going to have to give you a plug because I wrote a book when I was here, um, which is basically half is the silly stories of things that happened here in China and half is the the life lessons or things that are applicable to people outside of China from the experiences that I had in settling in. And that, And that book is? It's called Putting It Out There or Putting Correct. It Out There, yeah. Life in Full Swing. So that's, it's on Amazon back in the UK. Yeah. And you can find that in lifeinfullswing.com. And did you, um, what was your motivation behind that? Was it something you just wanted to do? You always wanted to write a book or was it, did you find that as you were going along and making notes as, as you always have done, did you kind of find that it just kind of evolved and you went, hey, I've got something here? Um, I, a lot of people had said before going out that they'd obviously be interested in hearing a lot of the stuff I was up to. Yeah. I quickly realized that there was way too much going on, that the idea of being able to keep up with everyone back home whilst trying to develop life out here would be impossible. I didn't want to be, uh, having short conversations where you're trying to explain a lot of stuff in a catch up and then you only have five minutes to do it so that was the main motivation for getting stuff written down and a lot of people had done uh blogs and things like this and i just wanted something to be a little bit longer longer lasting than a blog 
uh, especially as the things that I saw and the things that I learned, I think, uh, not really time specific. So actually it was a, I think it was a Facebook post that led to a few people suggesting the idea of a book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then I started, started writing that probably about pr- pretty soon after I arrived, uh, filled it up with 53 stories and then a bunch of what I call these Chinese realizations of the day, which are the, the silly stories and the silly things that have happened. I remember following those. <laughs> but they're, they're all in the book. <laughs> this is great. And then, so how long would you have said it was before you became competent with regards to giving a golf lesson in Chinese? Um, my first golf lesson without the translator would have been just over a year in. Okay. Uh, so that was a little bit early, but he was ill. And <laughs> wasn't much around that. And I quickly realized that I think up until that point, everyone, all of the foreigners that I heard speaking Chinese, I assumed that their Chinese was flawless. And that's why people didn't give them blank looks. And that's why they would get on just fine. And I think I started to realize in the first couple of months of teaching lessons that I knew 100% that there was a lot of mistakes in what I'd said. But the students didn't let on and they understood enough or they got the meaning of what I was trying to get through. And so therefore it took a lot of pressure off. So then I knew from that point that the better I got, obviously the easier communication would be, but that it wasn't a stage of you need to keep going until you arrive to some perfection point and then you're actually able to start coaching. So probably a year or so in was the first lesson and then relatively soon after that started to have more confidence in the fact that just keep doing what you're doing. And then have you got any, um, have you, would you have any advice for professionals in the UK or in Europe who might see adverts online for, for jobs out in Asia, as it were, what are the, the kind of, uh, what are the pitfalls or the, the, the cons of going out there and what are the, what are the pluses or what have been the big pluses for you? Is there anything you, you, any advice you can kind of pass on? So I would say number one to always keep an eye on the PGA job board because, uh, we are going to be hiring pretty soon. Okay. That'd be, be number one. Um, in terms of pluses and minus it, I would say people that come to China either love it or hate it Okay. Uh, in terms of it is very different. I now feel very settled and it feels very, very normal to me. Uh, I don't, if I was going to write a second book, I would have no realizations to put in there because in my eyes, nothing weird happens. Um, So I said the the pluses are the fact that it's a hugely growing market. Um, Being a foreigner and, therefore being very different uh, gives you a huge unique selling point uh there's a lot of money here there's a lot of opportunities just because of how new the sport is and how quickly that's growing uh the fact that it's so different you just don't have any idea what direction career is going to go in which i find a a good thing i would say negatives would be yeah just that you're a long way from home it's going to be it's very different. Uh, there's, there's many, many, many things that could be deal breakers. Mm. So I'd say my main advice would be the people that have done well, we've hired actually three more from my university course. 
And I would say our university course is full of people that are young, ambitious, have done placements, so they've seen a lot of places. But other outside of that, people that have done well have been people that have come out here for uh, a short trip to have a look around, to go to a few places around China, and then for themselves decide if that's a, what they want to do or not. And I'd yeah. say the stories I've heard from that have either led to employees being very impressed and offering jobs, or it's led to them realizing that it's not what they want to do and therefore not accepting a contract and having a costly mistake of coming here and then realizing it's not for them. So that would definitely be my number one advice if people are looking to come out here. Obviously, asking me any questions is absolutely fine too. Yeah. And did you find it, um, obviously, I had an experience when I went off to Madeira for, for a year. Um, I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed the island. It's where our first daughter was born and, and everything else. But I got very badly stung with, uh, with, with contract, with employment um, so does that work very differently over there to what it does in the UK? Um, I hear a few horror stories here. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I, I did a lot of research before coming out here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think anyone that's ever met Michael Dickey probably had questions from me uh, about yeah. him as a person, as a coach and all these kind of things. So I would say meeting him for the first time when I arrived here, I already knew a lot of stuff about him and his personality and his character from the people that I'd spoken to. So I would say there is some cases where uh, people might see a contract that looks fantastic uh, and then they take like a a leap of faith and end up going out there and then realising it's not quite how it was pictured. I would say obviously there's cases like that anywhere, but I would say with the research that I did I uh, felt very comfortable very confident when I initially came out here and then so what how, what would your what, what would a typical working week look like for you uh, so typically um, Saturday Sundays are busy um, and then Mondays are off yeah uh, generally six day working week a little bit of flexibility with that to be honest um, and then Tuesday through Friday, if it's working those days, less busy, but still probably three to five lessons on those days. And then a lot of other tasks, other directions we're going in, paperwork, new programs being written, those kind of things. Uh, if there is other time, that's when we have our, our pod meetings with our small groups to try and bring on their coaching as well. That'd be and they're watching videos, watching each other coach, which is part of the um, coach accreditation that we've got, playing with the technology, working new stuff out. So there's not too much time to be bored. And then learning Chinese. If there's any other spare time in there, it's just communicating with the team, uh, helping their English and helping our Chinese. And then, so the lesson would be what? Half hour, hours, two hours? What generally is a, what, what can they have? What are the offerings? Generally is one hour. Um, we've done recently a lot more of putting small groups together with, with the idea that it's a big push for them to not do just individual lessons. I now do a lot more where I put two or three kids together and just, uh, do two or three hours of coaching. So it's effectively the same their end, but it's basically group coaching. Um, but 
generally one hour. We do. We have a few schools that we work with that do um, much longer sessions than that. They'll come for afternoons and weekdays. They'll play nine holes, eighteen holes with us. Um, so they have longer, but generally would be hour or so. And with practice being a little bit limited, a lot of the like with the junior program, the scoring stuff and the games give a lot of that stuff for them to do post lesson. Um, just because, yeah, quite often the actual uh, opportunity to play golf is not enough. So giving them a structured practice plan has been the biggest way to expand that one hour lesson into effectively two, three hours of golf time. Cool. And then the the programs themselves, so they, they is it, can you kind of add, have ad hoc lessons or is everyone involved in kind of uh, like a membership so it, it would run for 12 weeks of the term if it was in the UK that type of thing or is it so does you know do you have the same person at three o'clock on a Tuesday every week or every other week or how does it how does your yeah more more out? towards that more towards a set time um, each week um, and then try and fit in as much of course plays in small groups or competitions that we run those kind of things to, to mix it up. Um, yeah. So closer to that second example of Tuesday at three o'clock kind of thing, which we're trying to push and trying to change, but there's quite a lot of resistance. <laughs> Not always so easy to change that. <laughs> um, so I meant, uh, obviously you just finished a book. Is there any other? Is there any other that you were reading, not the the, the one that you wrote? Uh, any other books that uh, you would recommend, uh, coaches or any 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 books that you actually get your players to read that may have been translated, or if they if their English is good enough to understand uh, the the written word? Is there any ones that you you advise? Yeah, quite a few. I'd say um, quite a lot of the players' uh, English level is good, uh, so we've got a big bookshelf here and quite often get them to read books and then take notes and show the notes back to me um, just to see their understanding so with that I really like um, called Harmon's book, uh, Butch Harmon's book sorry, The Pro Yeah, a lot of the Vision 54 stuff is um, any of the stuff that proves what we're trying to teach in terms of variety and practice and transfer to the golf course without it just being the crazy coaches from England that don't believe in hitting thousands and thousands of golf balls a day. Yeah. Uh, any of the books that have similar messages there but come from someone else as opposed to coming from us are always popular. Good. Uh, in terms of coaching, it, it's good here because it's a, a tricky environment. The team of coaches that, uh, that we've got here, we're very... I say very critical of ourselves of what you can do to try and improve yourself and what you offer your students. And but with that, realizing that okay, you can always learn a little bit more about this, a little bit more about um, practice environments, all these kind of things. But there's a point where you definitely know enough, and let's move on to the next area. So my reading recently has been well, a few documentaries actually on managers and leaders. So. Bobby Robson and Alex Ferguson's documentaries. Um, but then How to Win Friends and Influence People, rereading that. Mm -hmm. But 25 Ways to Win with People. Those kind of books um, have been recently what I've been reading a lot more of. 
Okay. And do do you have time for podcasts? Are you a listener? Apart from, I know you obviously very kindly mentioned that you listen to these ones, but is there anyone else that you listen to that? You... Yeah, my podcast list is extensive. Um, <laughs> so is so is mine as well. I, I'm I'm lucky. I, I have an hour to work and an hour back. So got you. I get I get a good listening in a week. Yeah. Um, again, with that. To be honest, I'm looking through it now. Um, quite a lot of Chinese in there. Uh, trying to use that hour similar that I have a day of uh, of travel to really just spend the time in what is going to make the biggest difference in my life. Uh, I would listen to a lot of golf podcasts before and the information was great, but a lot of it was just confirming that what I was doing was I was happy with what I was doing. And then yeah. within that, there'd be something that, was a good point is like, oh yeah I like that idea but in terms of yeah, actually transforming what I did um, I was looking at other other ways other podcasts to, to use that time a bit more efficiently so recently to be honest podcast wise has been more related to um, investments um, more related to looking through this here investments Lifestyle design, uh, some golf ones in there, definitely. Uh, crypto, uh, yeah, and quite a lot of Chinese. Cool. So uh, outside, outside of outside of your your golfing life or whatever, what what else does does Andy get up to? Oh, jeez, I don't sleep very much. Uh, I try to uh, pack life pretty full. So yeah. um, each year I take on a new sporting challenge uh, to just to remind myself what it takes to improve and just to, I'd say, motivate students. Uh, they can see the journey that I'm going through. So most recently, that's been boxing. Yeah. So I've been boxing now for probably six months or so, probably about four or five times a week. Uh, so that is intensive. That takes up quite a lot of my time. Other than that... Um, just on the boxing, Andy, because... Um, I thought you were incredibly brave to, you know, step through the ropes and and do your black tie. If I'm if I'm wrong with the, you know, the the actual wording, but to yep. actually get into the ring to have a proper fight, did um, I mean I've I've never done boxing at that level, um, but I was always told you either don't mind getting hit in the face or you do, and if you do, you're never going to do it. So did you? <laughs> The first time you got a hit, did you literally go, actually, that was all right? <laughs> why, why boxing? Um, that's a good question. Um, I wanted to do a martial arts or something. I always, a lot of people joked when I arrived that a, back in the UK were saying, oh, when, when are you going to become a Kung Fu master? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and so I looked into... I looked into Tai Chi, Jiu Jitsu, Taekwondo, all those kind of things and did classes in all of them. And none of them really gave me a buzz, to be honest. They were all interesting enough, but for the time it takes to get very good, they weren't really something I was that interested in. Uh, yeah. I did the first boxing class and enjoyed it a lot more. Okay. And I think it was good. I, I had some good coaches at the start. And every time when I'm a student, I've got my coach's hat on. So I'm, I'm there watching and seeing what they do well and what I would change if I was there coaching. So I really enjoyed the coaching that I had. 
and I enjoyed that the idea of getting punched in the face. I didn't enjoy that. Let's finish that sentence. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed the fact that um, the best coaching that I had near the start, uh, if it was, for example, you're lowering your hands when you're punching and therefore you get counterpunched and that hurts. Uh, there wasn't, there didn't need to be much instruction. Uh, <laughs> the best coaching would just be someone who every time would see uh, your hand lower, would just hit you with a little jab and that would give you more than enough incentive to keep it up next time. So I think I, I liked it from that respect that I could um, learn and improve my coaching through what I was doing in the boxing. I wouldn't say I enjoyed getting punched in the face. Uh, it was more more incentive to, to be better, basically. Yeah, and then so why did you... I know you obviously you learn a new skill each year, was that something that you had read about or was that something that you were taught from an early age or was that something you picked up from other coaches when you were on your travels originally? Um, on the cruise ship, I, to a basic level, taught myself to play golf left-handed. Uh, okay. To try and re-remember that it's, it's not quite autopilot to be able to hit any shot on command. Mm -hmm. um, so that was humbling. Yeah. Uh, that definitely helped with my coaching to, to just I use it now in demonstrations to show that okay my left-handed ability is developed like my right-handed ability I've played golf for a long time so therefore it's a lot of it seems quite automatic but left-handed shoes I need to really think about what I'm doing mm -hmm. so left-handed I I did that just to re-remember how difficult it was to learn yeah and. And I think all of these areas, I've always been one to not want to accept no for an answer. So last year, or two years ago, sir, I did the uh, marathon in North Korea. Yeah. And I'd been a sprinter growing up. And I think the, the furthest I'd ran that I can remember before the train started would have been about 5K or so. Um, and of all the people to run a marathon, I don't think it would have been me. Mm -hmm. So I think just for the stubbornness of myself and wanting to prove to myself and others that you can do a lot that you put your mind to. Uh, that's where those new challenges come up um, where I start from a really base level and then see what I can achieve. Fantastic. And then, cause I remember that I remember again, I've, I've followed your journey pretty much all the way as, as best I can on Facebook. It's a, it's a, it's a great watch. It's a great read. So kind of diving into that a little bit, how can people follow you on, on uh, social media? Uh, if they don't get WeChat, uh, that's where most of the content is. But yeah. um, I sporadically use Western social media. Uh, a lot of that is banned here and you need to use a VPN to access it, which is not difficult. I'm on a VPN at the moment, which I think is probably my phone thinks I'm in UK, which is why yeah. this connection is quite good. Okay. Uh, but my... Instagram is Andy Griffiths one and my Twitter uh, the same name and then everywhere else Andy Griffiths golf between LinkedIn and Facebook is and website is all Andy Griffiths golf fantastic quick couple of quick fire rounds a uh, couple of quick fire questions for you Andy uh, draw or fade fade uh, favorite movie oh favorite movie um it's a good question. Uh, 
I like the movie Rat Race. Only okay. because I saw it. Well, I saw it when I was really young at a sleepover and found it hilarious. Okay. And, and every time I, I see it randomly on in a in a shop or something like this, I just think through to being very young again and finding it hilarious. So I could watch that every day of the week. Fifty foot putt or three hundred yard drive. As in, which one can I do? Or <laughs> no, which one? Which one gives you more satisfaction? Holding a fifty foot putt or hitting a three hundred yard drive? Uh, unfortunately, I hit the ball quite a long way, so I would get more satisfaction from the rarity of making any length of putt. Okay. Um, Favourite golf course? Not easy for you to answer because of how well-travelled you are. Or maybe I, it's easy. Ooh, I really enjoyed uh, when I was at Pebble, uh, Monterey Peninsula. Um, the June oh, where Kevin Pebble. Roman is. Yes, yeah. That course is special. I went there just after it was redone. And uh, I'm trying to think. I think it's the 14th hole par three over the Pacific. That is a special golf hole. And the whole course is magical. Excellent. And then a prediction for the year. Golfing prediction for the year. Um, everyone's talked about Tiger Woods. And realistically, I want to talk about Tiger Woods. Um, he makes, he, obviously for me growing up, he was golf. Uh, my prediction is he's in contention on Sunday. Okay, fantastic. And then as your guest of the day, you get to ask question of the day. So um, this can be for coaches to, to kind of look at themselves or whatever, or for players, what you would like to ask them to ask coaches. So pretty much you've got the whole spectrum and hopefully we get some good feedback from the the question so Andy your question of the day I've got two um, that are prepared actually um, one I think is something that I think both of them if they were asked to students um, would get great feedback one is asking them why do they play and then really asking and really digging deep to find out the reason um, with motivation here once we really get to the, the reason why people play the game uh, it definitely helps us to tailor the lessons a lot better. So I would say number one is for any golfer to really ask themselves, why are they playing? Um, second one would be, what would you like your coach to know about you that he or she doesn't? Uh, yeah, that would be my two questions. So the second one again, I really like that. Go and say the second one again, please. What would you like your coach to know about you that he or she doesn't? And does, does for me, thinking that one through that would be something that the coach has to ask questions to explore to get, to draw that out. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. I really like that. And that can work the other way around as well for coaches. Yes. Yeah. So can you, can you actually ask questions to kind of almost build the rapport enough to be able to kind of reveal something quite personal about you? Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. I love that, Andy. Andy, anything else from you, sir? Cause I've really enjoyed our, our chat. I love following. I love following your journey. I think not only do I think you're brave, but I think you're a really good inspiration for the for the guys to basically say, look, there's a massive world out there. As long as you work hard, you um, you study, that there's lots of things that you can that you can achieve. And I, I I think you're absolutely fantastic. So just as a personal thing, please keep up all the great stuff that you do, and I look forward to to following your, your onward journey from, from here. And I hope we can meet up to, you know, in person to have a chat rather than just over, 
over social or via text. So, you know, big, big, huge thank you from me. I appreciate that. I've got two things. Um, one of them was a different answer to the uh, $100 question. Yeah. Because I wrote this down. Um, all I would have added, because most of mine were the same with notepads and games and leaderboards, this kind of thing. Added on earplugs. Uh, very inexpensive and would stop too many people listening to their to their best friend who's got great advice on how to hit it 300 yards. So that would be, <laughs> that would be one. Instead of listening to the coach, listen to the 23 handicapping. <laughs> um, and the only other thing was, I've got an email in front of me here that I'm just going to read one bit from. This is from you on the 21st of November, 2013. Oh, God. And, <laughs> geez, um, I just sent you a message, just, uh, I think, just catching up, asking advice. And there's two things in here that I think are, well, extremely useful for me i read this email quite often and i think would be useful to anyone reading or listening sorry um one says my advice to you is this be the best andy you can be build your book of lessons silver serves silver silver service them make them feel a million dollars um and then second bit martin hall told me to build my database and look after them they will be your biggest cheerleaders not facebook or twitter you are your biggest marketing tool and so, yeah, this was from, geez, it's crazy to look at this, uh, almost five years ago. So this wow. would have been not long before I went over to China. And it's, yeah, very much appreciated appreciated at the time. And almost five years later, still great advice. So a massive thanks to you and enjoyed listening to a lot of the um, people speaking on the podcast too. So keep up the good work. Yeah, well, I mean, thanks ever so much for reading that out. I, I... I kind of still remember writing the email. I didn't know it was five years ago. but And it's one of the motivations why I wanted to do the podcast. I, I feel as though, you know, through, through actually through this, these mediums of either Facebook, Instagram and everything else, we the, the, the people of, I don't know if it's my age or older, I kind of feel as though I have a duty to, to try and pass on as much advice that has been so kindly passed on to me. So, yeah. Thanks for thanks for reading that out. I think <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, Andy. We look forward to uh, to catching up soon. I hope we get some great feedback on off of this podcast. Keep up the great work, as I said, and I look forward to speaking to you soon, mate. Perfect, Duncan. Enjoy the open week. Thanks very much. Take care. Okay, speak soon. Bye. Bye.